Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today, uh, this is sort of like a throwback episode, but also with all kinds of stuff that's, that's brand new and exciting. And so this is a, a repeat guest. And not only a repeat guest, but but this guy was a guest on the very first podcast I did. Shout out to the Llama Commerce Show. That's a whole nother story in and of itself. Uh, you have to go check that. Google that if you want uh, some laughs and some good information too. Hey, e-commerce evolution listeners, Brett Curry here. I have a really cool announcement and an invite just for you. In February, OMG Commerce is hosting an exclusive invite-only event at the Google and YouTube offices in Los Angeles. Now, if you've never experienced a Google office, they really do live up to the hype. And the Google offices in LA are some of the most unique around. More on the venue in a minute. First, let me give you the scoop on the event itself. It's called YouTube Ads for E-Commerce, Building Full Funnel Growth with YouTube Ads. I'll be speaking at this event, sharing some of our best YouTube ad strategies, some of our most successful YouTube ad templates, and more. And you'll get to hear directly from some amazing YouTube team members, including some incredible content, from the Unskippable Labs team. Now, I've seen this content before, and it's amazing. Uh, I'm so excited about this event. But here's the best part. It's free, but it is invite only, and you do have to apply and be approved to attend because seating is limited. So sorry, no agencies, no service providers. This is just for e-commerce companies. Now, as promised, more about the venue. This will be held at the Spruce Goose Hangar. This hangar was initially built by the mogul Howard Hughes. And if you've ever seen the movie The Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio, then you know all about Howard Hughes and his Spruce Goose. This hangar was recently renovated in true Google fashion. Now it's a cutting-edge YouTube studio and Google offices, and that's where we're holding this event. It's going to be amazing. So to find out more, to check out the application, Go to omgcommerce.com forward slash YouTube dash event. Again, that's omgcommerce.com forward slash YouTube dash event. I'll also link to the event page in the show notes of this show. And I hope to see you in LA. My guest is Mike Eugenio. He's the co-founder and CMO of Cellbright. We'll explain what Cellbright is in a minute. But Cellbright was just acquired in April. The deal was inked April of this year, uh, bought out by GoDaddy. So now Cellbright is a GoDaddy company. We're going to talk about what that process was like because I know a lot of our clients, a lot of people listen to this podcast, you're looking for an exit event. So I want to pick Mike's brain and and hear a little bit of that story. We're also going to talk marketplaces because that's what Cellbright does is helps e-commerce companies uh, sell more, sell better on marketplaces. We're going to dive into that as well and have some fun along the way. So Mike Eugenio, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, hey, thanks for having me back uh, again and then again. Yeah, nice to, so... Nice to be on with you. <laughs> exactly, it's always fun. We were just reminiscing, I think in that very first episode, this was pre-e-commerce evolution, so this goes back to the Llama Commerce days. You were in your incubator, right? So... so. Uh, so Cellbright started in an incubator, which is a great story. And we were using Google Hangouts at the time. And 
you ended up writing backwards on a, a dry erase marker board that was behind you, I think, so that it would show up properly in the picture. Is that, is that right? That's right. So if you see behind me now, um, I have what in real life is properly written, and it now looks reversed. Um, at least I'm saying that. Let's hope it actually plays out that way when we publish. It would actually look. It actually uh, Zoom fixes it, so it looks it looks correct. Oh well, okay. Well, I, I thought that Google Hangouts did not fix it, um, and it turns out that they did. And uh, <laughs> uh, my backwards writing was indeed backwards. When we so making people work hard on that, but. I think fortunately we edited out uh, me trying to explain that, so I looked less stupid than uh, than I already did. It was a good time, man. But but yeah, so let let's talk. Let's first explain what Cellbrite is and does, and just a brief background, and then and then let's get into this amazing growth. And we're going to talk about the acquisition story with GoDaddy because I know there's a lot of people out there listening that would love to be acquired by a company the size and scope of GoDaddy. So, so what is Cellbrite and, and what do you guys do? Sure. So Cellbrite uh, is a simple software tool um, and we uh, describe it as the easiest way to sell everywhere that matters. So to list and sell your products on the world's largest marketplaces uh, as well as your e-commerce store. So Cellbrite helps brands uh, and retailers to take the products that they sell, make them available for sale wherever they want to sell, uh, manage all of their product inventory, manage all of their product content, fulfill any orders, uh, and do it all in a simple, easy-to-use, affordable tool. Yeah, and I, and I first, I think I was first introduced to you guys by uh, my buddy William Harris. I think, I think that's, that's maybe how we made the first yeah, right. connection. And, and there's, you know, there are other tools that, that do similar things to what you guys do, but some of them are like crazy, crazy, crazy expensive. You guys are affordable. The tool works fantastically well. Connects inventory, you know, create, creates this one unified view so you can kind of see everything. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a great, it's a great tool. So, so check it out for sure. Um, and William, by the way, William and I just published uh, our first uh, piece of content on GoDaddy's blog, just to, because you brought William up. I wanted nice. to. Nice. I think I may have seen that on, on Instagram or something. Okay, good. About. Yeah. It's a fantastic post on influencer marketing. Influencer marketing. To some of your, your uh, listeners that r run their own brands in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's an awesome resource that has tons of expert content um, that hopefully they can get value out of. Sweet. So GoDaddy, I'm sure you just Google GoDaddy blog. Yep. Uh, influencer marketing, William Harris, Mikey Gino, something like that. We'll also link to it in the show notes so people can check it out there. But yeah, I'm, I'm awesome. eager to read that. That's, that's fantastic. And so, you know, I remember when I first met you and Brian Nolan, who's the, your other co-founder, awesome guy. Uh, met you guys, I think, at a, I think it was, uh, well, first time we met in person, I think it was at a, at a Magento show or something like that. But, you know, I know, I know the plan from early on was to, to be acquired, right? So let's talk about, let's talk about this journey. I don't know if that was the, the plan in the very, very beginning, but it seems like it's been a while you've been thinking about it. Um, did that shape your thinking from the very beginning? Or was it not until you got into the business a little while before you decided, hey, we could potentially sell this one day? Yeah, I think there was always the thought early on that um, this business would be attractive to potentially uh, a larger strategic uh, acquirer. Yeah. Um, I don't think we had misgivings that we were going to build uh, a Facebook level business because it's pretty niche. You know, we, we target e-commerce uh, businesses, um, of which there are many, and we knew we could build a wonderful business. But um uh, there was always an, a thought that, you know, there could be value there uh, with the right partner. 
Um, but then also that we felt we could build a very large business, business and continue, continue to run it on our own. So um, I, I think we went into it thinking, let's consider both paths uh, and it'll sort of work itself out as long as we focus on building a valuable company. Uh, and then once we raise money, focused on, um, you know, creating value for our shareholders. I think that's key. Yeah. Build a, val- a valuable company first is what we're offering and what we're doing. Does it matter? Yeah. Do people love our product? Are they passionate about our product? Are, are we making a difference? And then that's going to create options, right? And it's always good to be in a position where you don't have to sell, where you could just keep trucking along and make great money because, you know, that usually leads to a better, a better deal in the end for you. So let's let's talk about this process a little bit. What, what do you think you guys did right in in the the formative years as you were kind of building the company, and then as we were getting closer to sell? Things that looking back, you're like, hey, that was that was a pretty good pretty good decision. I'm glad I'm glad we did those things, or some sure. of the some of your good decisions. That's a great question. Um, so from the very beginning, I think. Uh, we were forced to be scrappy uh, and, and frugal. Um, we never had a whole lot. Um, when we started the company, we scraped together what little we had. I actually pretty much cashed out my IRA <laughs> to uh, build our first product, which I don't recommend doing, although- Very risky. And I apologize for the little bit of background noise. But that's no problem. Just, um, so we started with a little, we built a, a, a very small prototype uh, and we operated it for um, a year, trying to grow that tool uh, and use it to prove that there's more that uh, e-commerce businesses need. So we immediately got feedback when we launched this product that it's great, but what if it could do this as well? Mm-hmm. Um, and while we had ideas to build similar small products, um, quickly it became a realization that ultimately this is a piece of, of what could be a, a bigger tool mm-hmm. um, and that ultimately became Cellbrite. Um, I love that. And one thing I'll, one thing I'll kind of add to that, because I think this is really important. A lot of times as entrepreneurs, we, we, we have the false notion that if we just had a ton more cash, that everything would get easier. And, and there is some truth to that, but I believe some constraints lead to creativity. Constraints can lead to making really good decisions and doing things that lead to future success. So a uh, big fan of Google and, you know, Google talks about some of the, the early leaders like Eric Schmidt, first CEO and stuff um, that, you know, that having constraints leads to creativity. When you feel like you've got all the money in the world, unlimited resources, a lot of times you don't come up with as good of a product. Like we, we, we as humans need those constraints to a little bit. So don't, don't be afraid of that. Don't back away from that. Constraints can be your friend, I think. I totally agree. I think um, you are, uh, when your back's up against the wall, if you uh, can thrive in that environment, you're going to do incredible things. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've also always been someone who does their best work under pressure. Um, I don't know why. Um, you know, I think maybe it's that if I have too much time, I'll iterate and iterate and iterate myself to death. As a perfectionist, but um, I, I totally agree. Uh, and it also forces you to be cautious. So, um, sorry, funny side story on why we're here. Hey, that sounds like growth. That sounds like they're expanding or building or something. Just we're growing, yeah, rapidly growing right before my eyes. Um, we are an internet company and like most internet companies have pretty terrible internet in our office building. 
So um, like a prerequisite, if you're an online startup, you have to deal with bad Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah, the Wi-Fi drops a lot. Fortunately, we've been able to to uh, withstand um, the call so far. Um, but finally, after a few years, and thanks to GoDaddy, um, we're upgrading our internet infrastructure a little bit. So hopefully, uh, no more issues. Yep, yep. Um, so you guys, so I got I got us off on a uh, we, we went a little bit deep there. Right. Good. So so you guys were scrappy in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Of the so early on, so we, um, it's interesting. Uh, we were fortunate to find um, Idealab, which is an incubator here in Pasadena, Pasadena, California, um, where my partner and I met working for another online retailer. Um, we were able to find them and they invested in the company early on. Uh, and by early, I mean about a year, a little over a year after we had launched that first product. So it, it took a while. Um, they have a lot of e-commerce experience, so they understood what we were trying to do, even though I think at the time we were a little early in our market and a lot of the uh, investors in LA didn't really understand the value or what it could become. Um, but what they asked us to do was kind of prove that there was um, uh, staying power and that this could be a business. So um, we launched uh, a kind of like a, a dummy website of the, the full Cellbrite product and everything it could do with pricing plans um, and uh, drove traffic to it to test out, could we uh, acquire traffic profitably and could we um, prove a willingness to pay based on plans that people selected? And then when they wanted to start a trial, we very kindly told them that unfortunately the product wasn't ready, but we'll let them know as soon as it is. Um, and that was a really cool exercise because it was very lean startup method. Um, and it forced us to start thinking like everything we do, we need to really test. And um, they basically gave us a little bit of money to run that test and then invested more once we proved it. Um, nice. So that was a great start. Ultimately, I think what's made us successful is that we've been very focused on trying to build a great product. Um, and that's a very challenging thing to do in our particular industry because a multi-channel tool means a lot of different things for pretty much everybody. Um, I, uh, I always uh, cite... Uh, a story of me growing up. My first job was in my uncle's bakery and my uncle moved from New York to South Carolina, rural South Carolina to open well, culture bagel. shock, culture shock indeed, but yeah, to, to open what open a bagel shop in South Carolina was kind of like a, rural South Carolina. Okay. Oh, really? Kind of, kind of moment. <laughs> and to take it a step further, he decided to name it Carolina bagel, um, which is, uh, could be controversial. Um, pretty much the first bagel shop in the area in, in the whole, you know, outskirts of Columbia, South Carolina, but he built, he made a fantastic product, a fantastic product and, um, people loved it and it caught on quickly and he was successful and then opened a few more bakeries. Um, and I think early on that kind of always sank in, like if we build a great product, everything else will work mm -hmm. itself out. Um, so we focused a lot on building an easy to use tool. Um, and making sure that we listen to customers uh, that we're monitoring to see to see what, what they're doing and where they're getting stuck um, and that we're constantly improving. And we have iterated on our product over and over and over again um, and done that at the expense of building more features. So um, Cellbrite is uh, less feature diverse than some of the other tools out there, but is more consistent and, and um, effective at what we've kind of chosen to focus on. And just, and just very, very good. Yeah, very, very good at what you do. And it, it's simple. It's effective. It just works. So so starting with that minimum viable, pro minimum viable product in the beginning, iterating, getting feedback, testing, 
improving all of those things. That's that's awesome. I, I love that. Um, so those are some of the things you did. You did well. You were scrappy. You tested. You constantly improving, focusing on a good product. And I think that applies everywhere. That applies to us as an agency, you as a SaaS business, e-commerce companies. If you can obsess about the product, um, good things are going to happen, right? If you mm-hmm. continue to make it better, and and you will have, and that happens at the expense of other things, right? You even you even said that, like well, you could build out all these other features, or we could just focus on getting better and better and better at these core things. It's also key to know that you're not, in some cases, this isn't true, but we're, we were not the primary users of our own product. Mm. Well, while we did create the product because we felt that pain point as retailers ourselves, um, going forward, it was no longer, you know, our um, full day. We didn't use Cellbrite, you know, professionally. So what, where I'm going with that is that you really need to listen to your users and you yes. need to get their feedback and ask them what they want, what they need. Um, and sometimes that involves reading between the lines a little bit because your customers are always going to ask for more than you really can deliver um, or more than you think is within your, your wheelhouse. Um, but making sure that you don't feel like the product needs to be performant for you, um, mm, I think yep. is key. And in particular for um, direct-to-consumer brand owners, you know, we're, we're SaaS, we're a software tool, and, it, and it's a little bit different than if you make a physical product um, where you really need to have that, that feedback and you really need to constantly be, you know, soliciting the opinions of, of others um, because other people are going to also be using your product uh, day in and day out. And it's not a as much of a relationship thing as, as with SaaS, like software can stop working maybe for, you know, a couple of minutes at a time and then start working again. Um, and it's almost kind of goes with the territory because it's, there's a lot to it. Um, whereas if you build a physical product and it breaks once you're going to lose that trust, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really interesting point. I think this, well, let's talk about the agency world and the SaaS world first, because that's where you and I both live. We often start the company. I know this was the case with you guys. You built the software to, to help with the need you had. So to help you guys manage better on marketplaces, right? But quickly as you evolve and grow, now you're building this company and it's growing and it's exploding and all these things. You, yeah, you're no longer the primary customer, right? And it's easy. And for me, when I was building the agency, I was very connected to all our clients. Now I'm still connected to some, but it's pretty easy for you to kind of grow to a point where you're like, okay, I'm not necessarily either the prime customer or super connected to my customer naturally. So we need to have those feedback loops, right? We need to have those feedback loops from customers or else we're going to quickly become irrelevant. And, and I think it is important. Um, it is a little more binary, I guess, for, for physical products, right? Where it's either it's either good or bad and you don't get a whole lot of uh, chances. Whereas with an agency or SaaS, you maybe get a little bit of grace and you make there's some bumps along the road and you fix them and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but, and but and there are those, things you can do to force yourself to um, be more aligned with your customers or your, your users. Um, for example, early on, and I attribute a lot of our early success to this, we started a program, um, we, we just called it the Cellbrite Store um, program, where we actually purchased inventory from some of our customers, um, promised not to be price competitive with them, uh, and used our software to list products for sale and to operate a store. And we rotated th- throughout the company. Um, everybody managed the store for a week, including all of our engineers, including um, everybody within, within the organization. 
and every and, and you got unique insights from you know, that's each amazing that team member that they're or the team that they're part of they would see different things and and then have a you know a, an idea on how to improve um so it's you know the, the old uh, drink your own champagne um axiom so it was or, or each, that each was one. A, each own each own food. Food. Yeah. I recently heard drink your own champagne and I've, and I've upped to that one. Maybe a little more fun, uh, a little more we, enjoyable. Yeah, we say drink your fun. own dog food as well. <laughs> um, but, yeah. uh, but no, so it is important to certainly be using your products, um, yeah. but know that, you know, you're not uh, the only user and not everybody sees things the way that you see them. Like you yep. need that yep. raw feedback from, from yeah, customers absolutely. who have other things going on in their life. And obsess over the customer. Be willing to be wrong when something you think is important. You find out it's not important. Just obsess over the customer. You know, that's what you got to do. Uh, okay, so uh, next question. What are some things that either you wish you had done differently because they were either mistakes or just waste of time or something or some things that you thought would be important that were not important, right? So, so anything that would kind of fall on that list of, Eh, we either didn't do great here or we focused on this thing thinking it would be important. Once an acquisition came along, it wasn't important. That's a great question. Um, I'm going to start, I'm going to go more towards the things that I wish we had done earlier. Okay. Um, number one would have been try to fully instrument uh, all of the analytics that you want to see early, as early on as you can. Mm. And I think this is one of those things that no matter how much you try to focus on it early, it never gets quite the, the priority that it deserves. Um, but it's incredibly difficult to make strategic decisions in a business about what product to invest in, um, what feature to add next, um, which in our case, which sales channel we want to prioritize or uh, invest more in iterating upon and improving um, without truly understanding your customer base, how they're consuming your product, you know, everything that goes with that. And if you're make a handful of physical products, that'll be a little bit easier. You know, your instrumentation will be around um, go to market strategy and much more kind of marketing focused um, and cost and fulfillment focused. Um, but from a SaaS perspective, understanding how your product is consumed by different types of users is, is incredibly important and it has taken us a lot of time and we've spent a lot of time that we didn't need to spend over the years just trying to mine insights out of out of data that's not you know very easily accessible so that would be one thing for sure so getting getting your data clean accessible in a dashboard type thing as early as possible as early as possible it helps you make better decisions anyways like even if you're not going to sell for a long long time it helps you make better decisions in the moment as well absolutely understanding you know who your customers are by vertical the things that they're selling you would think that a company like ours should be able to know that pretty quickly but it's actually you know if you haven't planned for that uh, and and you know created a kind of a taxonomy for understanding the types of products or categories that your sellers um, sell within it's very difficult. All the sales channels have different category structures. You know, there's, you can't just kind of do a quick query by keywords. Um, mm -hmm. It's a, it's a challenge. And then not knowing that you don't necessarily know which verticals are, are hottest without uh, more anecdotal type of evidence similar. And, and that's just understanding who your customer is. And then there's how they use your product, making sure that all the key features and flows in your product are very well instrumented and that you're monitoring where those friction points are. Uh, it was later in our in our life lifetime as a company where we really understood how performant our key features were. 
Um, and so that's certainly something I would recommend to any software entrepreneurs out there is to make sure that you're thinking about that stuff as early on as possible. Um, it, it, yeah, anything else? So getting, I love that, getting the data as clean as possible. Yeah. And for an e-commerce store, that's partially easy, right? You've got Shopify, you've got Google Analytics, but I think thinking about it at a deeper level, right? Understanding who our customer is, building segments, seeing how people behave and, and respond and, and, and just getting very, very clear with the data and do that as soon as possible. I love that advice. Anything else you wish you would have done sooner? Um, you know, I, 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 we've always been somewhat restrained from a um, cash perspective, but I wish we would have hired, um, you know, the, the uh, folks that are on our leadership team now, I wish we could have hired them earlier. Um, because hiring great people that um, can execute uh, a strategy and can help manage, you know, a growing team is invaluable. Um, we're fortunate to have uh, Angela and Keith on our team, who Angela runs our customer success team and Keith uh, runs engineering, um, who are terrific. And I wish we could have, I wish we had made the decision to prioritize those positions sooner. Um uh, yeah, I would totally agree with that, by the way. Like, so there's some key hires we've made. Uh, first of which would be our, our COO, Sarah, who really helped take away a lot of the management of our team away from me so that I could focus more on strategic growth and things. Several years ago, it was was huge. And then as we started implementing directors of departments, like our Google Ads director, Greg Maycock, um, Amazon director, Chris Tyler, like that helped us grow tremendously. And, and I don't know if we could have done it a whole lot sooner, but I would agree with you like that, that often will feel like an uncomfortable expense. Hey, I'm stretching a little bit to hire this person or to bring, to fill this position. But if you get one, you get the right person, which isn't always easy, but get the right person. And two, then have that job spelled out properly or, or give them the freedom to create and, and really make the job valuable, man, as soon as you can do that, do that. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, we cha have changed our target customer uh, as the company has gone on, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit as talk, you know, and talking about the, the GoDaddy story. Um, but I wouldn't say that we would have necessarily should have done that sooner. Um, it was kind of more of reading the tea leaves of seeing mm -hmm. what opportunities exist in the market and how we can truly, uh, you know, widen the moat that we have with our product. Um, but I, I do think that analytics has been, you know, something that could have served us so much better earlier on in, in our career uh, with Cellbrite. And, um, and then, yeah, like you said, having the right people to help you build uh, an organization is absolutely critical. Good. Any kind of a, a similar question, any advice you wish you had gotten sooner? So, and, and maybe it's just related to those two things. So if it is, we can just skip it, no problem. But in any advice you wish you had gotten sooner or advice you would give to somebody who's, who's looking to sell, you know, in the next year to five years? Looking to sell a company? Yeah. Oh, um, yes. So, let, well, let's talk a little bit about the story of kind of how we got to this point. Awesome. We we'll love that. And I think that'll, I think that'll um, open up lots of lessons that I learned uh, and, and little nuggets of wisdom. Um, so, we were, uh, let's see, the year was, 2017 and um, we were approached by GoDaddy uh, to partner with them and build a marketplaces, uh, basically an extension to the marketplaces 
um, for GoDaddy's online store product. Um, and it was super exciting. Um, ironically, at the time, we were there were a, a couple of companies that were interested in that type of functionality. And so we were having these discussions. Um, but we really liked the folks at GoDaddy um, and their product uh, had a lot of characteristics that we kind of identified with. Um, it was simple, easy to use. Um, they, there were clearly a lot of things about it that were well thought out. Um, and we decided to, uh, to, to enter into a partnership to build them a white labeled version of our product, which we'd never done before. Hmm. Um, that was in the fall, I believe it was 2017. Uh, and then by the end of the year, right before we kicked off the official partnership, um, they reached back out uh, with their corp dev team and offered uh, and invited us to join the GoDaddy organization, um, which was awesome. Um, which means they wanted to buy you at that time. They wanted, right. They yep. wanted, they made us an, an offer to acquire the company. Um, we were on the verge at the time. Of, we had just kicked off some smaller partnerships with other integration partners and were really on, a, on an exciting trajectory. Um, and felt that it wasn't the right time for us to join forces with GoDaddy. Um, and was, that, was that really tough? Was that really tough to to come in and say, "Thanks, guys"? No. Absolutely. Because um, you feel like you might not ever get that deal again. Right? I mean, there's at least something in the back of your head saying, "If you say no now, done. Doors closed to GoDaddy forever." Absolutely. Um, it is very hard to say no to to something like that. Um, and and trust that you can continue to, you know, pull off what is, has already been um, a statistical anomaly. I mean, the fact of the matter is we raised very little money. Um, so we were largely bootstrapped and grew by, you know, which is pretty rare for SaaS. I mean, SaaS usually has to have some kind of backing very expensive to, to start and operate in the beginning. We never had a large marketing budget. So we were not in driving, you know, a lot of growth through um, rapid escalation of ad spend. Um, a lot of it was organic. A lot of it was doing things, but, you know, looking back, I would say it was the right way. We were really focused on customer experience, driving great reviews, um, getting ourselves positioned with partners and app stores that, you know, we knew uh, would provide a, a good return and it would be fair with us um, and growing the business that way. Uh, and so we decided to pass on the offer and instead pursue the partnership. Um so then in 2018, we started... Did that, did that ruffle any feathers or was that was, it, was everybody kind of cool with that? Um, I, you know, I think it might have. Um, I think, uh, you know, whenever a, a, a corp dev team um, doesn't get a deal that they want, you know, there's, it's obviously a, they're, they were, that's what they wanted, right? And so that's their job. Um, and so there was a little bit of... Um, not hostility, but, uh, you know, I think that's just kind of how, how that. Yeah, that's the way it works. I mean, there's going to be some bruised egos. Some people are going to be disappointed. Yeah. Like, Hey, this was what I, this was my goal was to get this deal done. You're saying, no, now I look bad potentially, you know, things like that. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, you know, I, cause ultimately it was not, there was nothing that was in bad faith. I mean, we had no ill will against GoDaddy. We were very excited about working together. Um, and what made it so hard is that, you know, we had not really officially been working in a development capacity with them yet, but um, we we saw the opportunity. We felt like culturally we already fit well. Um, it it made sense, but it just wasn't the right time. Um, so uh, so in the next year, we started building this integration, and it was 
a monster of an integration to build. I mean, we had never white labeled our software before, and we were now having to rethink how it operates as um, an extension of another platform. So our product operates as its own source of truth and our customers use it and then connect to all their sales channels. In this world, it, you know, we were building a solution that kind of fit on top of GoDaddy's online store and used that as its source of truth. So it was a, it was a, a complex problem to solve, but a cool problem and one that um, we really enjoyed working with them on. Um, but over the course of that year, the rest of the business suffered as we took our eye off of it and we're focused so much on it. It makes Go-Daddy. sense. Like what you focus on grows, what you don't focus on. Absolutely. Doesn't. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, that year 2018 was a chaotic year um, for us and a, and a, a scary year um, because we got to a point where um, we had hit a, a, in SaaS, we call it a growth plateau. SaaS plateau, where you know our new business coming in is kind of being evened out with with our churn, um, and so we needed to figure out how to continue to to grow and reduce churn. Uh, and um, we, in addition to building this white labeling solution for GoDaddy, invested a lot of our time and, and uh, engineering resources into iterating on our core product features and flows making the product a lot better, um, completely changing our business model. We changed our pricing plans um, and introduced a whole new like way that we that we bill. Um, so previously it was based on things like your channel count and your SKU count, and now it was based on you know, orders. And for the most part, we packaged our plans uh, very differently. Um, and basically re-engineered the company from top to bottom. We also had to lay some people off which was the hardest thing that Ryan or I had ever done. Um, and, but our team was resilient and rallied around us, um, fortunately, because our team is so amazing um, after that. And, uh, and that was, you know, Q2 of 2018. Now we were about four or five months after having declined this offer thinking, oh crap, like this never happened. Um, and we have an obligation to build this functionality. Um, and, you know, it could be that now it, the, the deal or it's not as attractive if we are kind of forced to sell the business. Um, but fortunately, I mean, again, we made all of these changes and, and things started to pick up. Again. Um, and we were able to rapidly accelerate um, our lead growth. Um, we were able to increase our conversion rates. We were able to reduce churn. Um, and and can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what, what did you do to rapidly in, increase lead flow? In any, any, I know that could be probably a podcast all by itself, but any, any quick wins there you can talk about? Sure. Um, so, well, I mean, we invested a little bit more in, in marketing. Um, but what we did was, uh, in conjunction with spending a little bit more in direct response, we implemented um, some better qualification tools to make sure that the right types of merchants were coming into the platform so that our team that helps onboard and train and retain and support our customers was efficient with the time that they were spending. And, you know, we were focused on good customers that were going to be a part of, you know, that, that we could really help. Yeah. But yeah, part, part of fixing churn is just attracting more of the right people. 
Right. And also filtering out some of the wrong people, um, yes. you know, and there are a whole variety of reasons why an e-commerce brand, it, it wouldn't be right for Sellbrite and Sellbrite wouldn't be right for them. Um, and that's totally okay. And a lot of times they, you know, fast forward a year and we're a better fit or they've outgrown, you know, the need for a solution like Sellbrite. And it's just like kind of timing. Um, and a lot of times it is just their focus is on something that's a little bit outside of our focus, but those things change as well. So, um, you know, making sure that we were as efficient as possible with the, the customers that we were working with. Um, and, uh, and so that was a big, that was a really a big part of it. Also, you know, like I said, we really improved our core product flows. So, um, you know, increased the, or decreased the time to value for using Cellbrite, made onboarding a lot easier. Um, we, uh, invest a lot in, in content around training, um, how to use the solution. Um, and in conjunction with what was really a shift down market. So the new pricing plans that we introduced were actually cheaper plans. Um, we also built for what a future looked like at scale under that model by, uh, leveraging more one-to-many tools, more webinars, more, um, you know, kind of group training sessions. Um, more content specifically devoted to the, your first few days with the solution. Um, and those things were hugely impactful because it allowed us to bring more customers, uh, you know, in the door and, and onboarded onto the platform. Um, so, so as you start growing against so it, then did you, did you guys initiate the conversations again with, with GoDaddy or did they approach you again or how, how did that all transpire? So we kind of felt all along that there was a chance that things could come back around. Um, and, um, we wanted to obviously make sure that we were continuing to deliver on our promise as a partner, um, but that the business was going in the right direction. So, uh, you know, those couple of months um, leading up to ha having to lay folks off and then a couple of months thereafter, we had already started all of these improvements in advance of, of the layoffs because we knew that things needed to, we needed to make changes. Um, but it took us a good six months for things to really take root. Um, and then come, you know, towards the end of the year and we had, uh, you know, we were contacted again by, um, by GoDaddy's Crypt Dev. We may, may actually have reached out to them and, and said, hey, you know, let's have a conversation. Uh, and we started up the talks again. By that point, um, the business was stronger. Um, we were more positioned to be. Uh, a successful integration with GoDaddy's products because we were now more positioned on the on the long tail of the e-commerce market. Um, very few providers of tools like Cellbrite um, even dare to try, let alone want to try going down market to support smaller merchants. Um, but we knew that we had the easiest to use product and we knew that it's the fastest growing part of the market. Um, and it made a lot of sense for us to really focus there. Um, so it was a big risk for us, but it was um, a calculated one, one that we felt like we could really pull off. And it also aligned us very well with what GoDaddy was trying to do. Um, on top of that, we were, um, by that point, also chatting with other potential acquirers. Um, and... You know that's a really important. Piece. And did you did you did you approach these other buyers? Did you work with a broker? How, how did you how did these other potential suitors know that you were potentially yeah. for sale? We did not work with a broker. Um, we considered it, but uh, nobody really knows our business like we do. Um, and you know, I, I don't think that there would have been any added value for us um, in 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 hiring a broker um, if you're doing you know 
absolutely huge deals. I can see it being more relevant, um, you know, private equity type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, the we really knew who the, the most logical potential acquirers would be and who would be interested. Um, and while there are always interested parties that are outside of your strategic world, um, rarely does that, I think, work as well in the long run, uh, you know, post acquisition and team transition and things like that. Because um, you want to be, you want to sell to a strategic partner, right? Because there's usually upside on the back end for you. Usually you're given, hey, you stick around, or if we hit these performance targets over the next couple of years, your earnout is greater, right? So, so thinking about the long-term success, not only is that good for your current yeah. customers, but better for you in the long run too. That's a big part of it. But also too, um, the right strategic knows the value of what you do and yep. what your team brings to the table. Yep. Um, you know, a value buyer or private equity is going to want to strip the company down to its, you know, into its parts and then sell them off or, um, you know, get rid of the ones that it doesn't want. Sure. Um, they're not going to be as uh, optimistic or as forward thinking in terms of what the future market could look like if your software integrated with their go-to-market operation. Um, and, you know, what we really focused on in talking with GoDaddy was that post-close, you know, is where we really develop value together and um, what Cellbrite could do in the hands of, you know, GoDaddy's team and marketing organization and customer base, like what it could look like. And those are really exciting conversations to have. And also, you know, there are um, a lot of skills and skill sets that I think we bring, can bring to the organization that um, have, uh, there's opportunity there to kind of supplement what's our, what already exists. And, and GoDaddy is a fantastic organization, a very interesting and um, I think a lot of times misunderstood organization. Um, just, that's doing some super cool things. And I'll talk about that. I want to talk about that in a minute. Cause yeah, I, absolutely. I think that there's some valuable stuff there. Um, but, uh, going back to being in this process, um, we had some partners that had interest for a while and that we had always talked about joining forces who we were kind of saying, Hey, just to let you know, things are, you know, kind of heating up. Um, and then some others that have reached out to us and some others that we reached out to, because at that point now we had developed a white labeled capability to add our products functionality onto the stack of uh, another large, you know, shopping cart or another large organization uh, and enable their customers to seamlessly uh, leverage the marketplaces. And so we were excited about that and we developed a a go-to-market rhythm around discussing that and talking with potential partners. Um, And so that then led to conversations. So by the time we got back into this conversation um, with GoDaddy, there was, you know, there were some other interested suitors. And I think that really changes the dynamic a little bit. It has um, to, yeah. right? I mean, there, yeah, if you're, if a potential suitor is bidding only against themselves, they're not very motivated to, to give you a great yeah. deal, right? So, yeah, I mean, so, so sorry, did you, did you, did you approach these other potential buyers or did they approach you? A combination. Great. Some um, had approached us and others um, we had reached out to, not specifically to talk about being acquired, but to talk about partnering. Yeah. Very, very cool. Very cool. So, uh, kind of, I do recommend that. I do recommend if you're in this stage, think about what value you would bring to, um, 
to another organization. You know, what is the draw and, and the, uh, what can you do post acquisition together? Um, and then think about how you could turn that value into something that helps your business, even if you weren't acquired by that company. So if there's a partnership that you can do where you can add value to them, um, but that is that would allow you to continue to operate independently, that's fantastic. Especially if that's your goal. If you want to remain independent, that's totally okay. Um, But those conversations have a way of then turning into corporate, you know, uh, M&A type conversations. So Very cool. So any, any lessons or takeaways from the, the negotiations themselves, and I'm sure there's a lot you can't talk about, which is totally cool, but any, any lessons or takeaways, any advice you would give to someone, you know, during that negotiation stage? And then also would love to know why you ultimately chose GoDaddy versus some of the other potential buyers. Sure. So um, let's see, what can I say and what can't I say? Uh, you know, it was a very above board process. Um, it is a very emotional. Part of that's got to go back to, and sorry to interrupt you, but part of that probably goes back to, hey, we we found some potential partners who were great. Like the culture lined up, we could add value to them. There's already some experience there. So right, so like once you do that, then probably the negotiations are relatively smooth, right? Just yeah, you know, you know we had established. Now great working chemistry together. And so while you have these corp dev conversations going on, on one hand, you can kind of back channel, if you will, or talk with your um, sponsors and and, um, supporters within the organization about, you know, how things are going. Um, And it is a very emotional process when you are, you know, considering selling your company and then you're, um, tasked with putting a value on, on the company, or rather the value has been told to you and you either agree with it or disagree with it. It's an emotional process to wrestle with that. Um, you know, this second time around, we came into it with more, with a stronger position and we were able to, um, you know, use that to our advantage. Um, but I think no matter who you are and who you're selling to, even if it is the perfect acquirer, there will be points where you ask yourself, why am I doing this? Um, and, or how dare they say this to me? Or, um, you know, like you feel dejected or like you're not very valuable or just a whole host of emotions. Sure. Sure. Important to remember that, um, Oh, actually let me, let me take that step further. It's easy to think that that somebody's trying to play a game with you or that they're out to get you, right? Like you're, you potentially have everything that you've worked hard to build and you feel like it might be dropped from you, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's incredibly normal. Um, I think sometimes but, we don't, sometimes we don't realize how much emotion we have wrapped up into our company. And I think that comes to light. And I've actually heard about another entrepreneur friend of mine who's the deal went south. And I think a lot of this came into play. Like it just, the, there was the emotion and how dare you? And this is my baby. Not that you would say that necessarily, but yeah, I think, I think sometimes we don't realize the emotion we have wrapped up in our business. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very hard to feel or very easy to feel like uh, things are going to be taken from you or somebody's out to get you um, and to let emotions get the better of you. But that, at the end of the day, I think most and I'm specifically going to talk about corp dev because that's who you engage with the most in, in, in an M&A process. Um, that's generally the department within an organization that's, that's liaising with you. Um, most corp dev folks are good people, 
that have a lot of things going on, a lot of other um, deals that they're working on and aren't trying to be sinister, right? So you just have to take every conversation as a list of facts uh, or expressions and then you, you know, reply to them and it's just kind of a slow, very slow dance in kind of negotiating. Um, and, uh, and then you get through it. Um, and fortunately, I mean, my, my partner, Brian and I, you know, we've got each other to, to, um, talk helps, things out with helps, yep. huge advantage. Um, we also have a board. Uh, so some idea lab folks were on our board, um, as well as some other uh, advisors that have been through this and that's a huge advantage, you know, when you have somebody that you can talk to, um, and if anybody's going through this, um, I'm also happy to talk with anybody, you know, directly or personally. Um, That's awesome. Appreciate that. Yeah. I think reaching out to someone that has some experience with this helps navigate some of those emotional minefields. Um, it's, it is very, it can be a very traumatic process, letting go of something or feeling like you're going to let go of something and, and miss, a, you know, a fine print or something of that nature. But most of the time, these things happen in good faith, especially when it's a strategic acquisition. Um, if it's a value buyer, private equity, you kind of know going in like, you know, this is your only real option. Um, and that's what they what they do. But, um, yeah, really, really good insights. Really good insights. Um, what about things you've learned from GoDaddy since the acquisition? Because I think, and in, 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 I don't know how relevant this is, but it seems like people maybe when they think GoDaddy, they just think, old Super Bowl ads or something like that. Maybe that's totally. just a little bit older, but that, that, like, that's the perception. But GoDaddy's doing some amazing things. We were just talking about their offices in, in Carlsbad, California. They're, you know, two-minute walk from the beach and employees yeah. go surf in the morning or lunch or whatever. Um, and they're doing a lot of really cool things. So we'd love for you to talk about that. Uh, but what have you learned from GoDaddy uh, that, that people can apply to their own businesses? Yeah, well... Um, there's a lot that I've learned, both just in terms of how big organizations work, as well as um, really cool things that, you know, can add value no matter who you are or what stage you're at. Um, so it was, it's certainly been a bit of a transition for us joining, going from a team of, of 20 to a team of 9,000. Um, but GoDaddy, for an organization that large, uh, operates surprisingly nimbly and operates very much in kind of like a startup-like uh, um, manner. Love it. Um, they're also incredibly employee and team focused. Um, so I, a lot of people don't know this, but GoDaddy was just ranked uh, in the top 50 um, by USA Today of, of companies for benefits and workplace um, satisfaction. And they came in number 11 um, above Apple, above LinkedIn, above Comcast, like some wow. big companies. And it's not a surprise. Um, it's a fantastic company to work for. Uh, they're very focused on training um, in, in terms of just education and educational opportunities. Um, they're focused on giving back. So I'm actually wearing a GoDaddy for Good t-shirt, um, which is one of one of the charitable um, organizations within GoDaddy, um, where we do um, more kind of traditional charity and volunteering work. Um, I also was fortunate to participate in uh, a program called Empowered by GoDaddy, where GoDaddy has um, local market partners that um, serve uh, like underserved uh, areas um, and basically recruit entrepreneurs or people looking to start businesses or um, businesses seeking help uh, and 
offers the whole breadth of GoDaddy's products. So whether that's domains, hosting, e-commerce solutions, uh, marketing solutions uh, for you know very little, in most cases they're free, uh, as well as educational content, training. Um, I participated in an hour-long training with, um, with several dozen entrepreneurs just talking about e-commerce. And it was awesome because you get questions from the most basic of like, why should I start an e-commerce or why should I pursue e-commerce as part of this business to very granular strategies. So you have this whole range of folks that are just trying to figure things out. And GoDaddy is so entrepreneur friendly. They encourage all their employees to have side hustles. They um, make you know all the tools available. to Which work. is really smart because I think it, may, it makes for better employees, right? You have a, you have a side hustle. I know Shopify has done the same thing where, hey, support people. We want you to have own a Shopify store. You play around with this. Have your own sandbox. You know, make this yeah. work. If you do that, you're going to be a much better employee, much better at support and things like that. Totally. Uh, they're incredibly customer focused. So GoDaddy's support is pretty famous. Um, nearly 7,000 of the people within the organization are part of the care organization. Um, and... You know, that models a lot of what we do, which is really focused on providing fantastic support and being there when our customers need us. Um, but underneath it all, it's like you said, it's most people think of GoDaddy and they kind of harken back to those old Super Bowl commercials and it being a little bit kind of chauvinistic in its branding, you know, not necessarily um, as a reflection of the company's values as they are. Um, a lot of those ads are 10 plus years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah like ancient there's history. been a lot of effort to focus on changing the culture of the organization and um, the way that it goes to market um, for years now. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is that in addition to being a highly charitable entrepreneur and kind of giving back focused company, um, it's also a very um, compelling tech company story. So GoDaddy is not traditionally known as a tech company, but there's, fantastic talent there developing really awesome software solutions. We're very fortunate to be now a part of that. Um, and, you know, I'm very bullish on the future of GoDaddy. I think that you're going to see them really knock, start knocking off some of it, some of their competitors and become more known as a forward thinking tech company uh, over the course of the next several years. Um, but And I think it's hard to overstate if you can create this environment where you're one of the best places to work, right? Where people want to work for you. They're passionate about working for you. Uh, a quick, quick plug to OMG Commerce. We did make the 2019 Best Workplaces for Inc. Uh, magazine, which we're awesome. super thrilled about. Like That's the most, awesome. thing I'm most excited about. Any award or accolade or anything we've gotten, that's been my favorite. But if you can do that, if you can attract and keep good talent, we just talked about how important the right hires are. But a lot of that means you got to build a company where people want to be there. If you can do that and then also obsess over customers... Dude, you're you're gonna you're gonna do well. You know, you're, you're gonna figure things out. You're gonna you're gonna be able to make uh, make a go of it. So, yeah, really good. Uh, other other lessons, other takeaways from from GoDaddy, or other things you've observed that you've been impressed with. So, um, I, I have definitely observed uh, a focus on um, continuing to improve coordination amongst teams. So, GoDaddy happens to be a company that is very acquisitive. So they bring in a lot of companies like Cellbrite. Which can be um, tough, right? It can be tough to get this, this separate culture to get them acclimated and integrated with other teams. That's tough. Totally. So um, we were fortunate to have um, a, a, a fantastic uh, woman by the name of Judy um, who led basically our whole integration work stream 
that covered then every single part of the business and making sure that we were able to liaise with the right people within GoDaddy, um, worked through kind of a first you know, 90 days checklist and made sure that our team felt welcomed. We had a party with them, you know, the day that we announced the deal on April 10th, um, we uh, had everything ready to go from an HR perspective on day one so that there were no questions. Like it was just a fantastically organized um, uh, rollout and integration. And I can't imagine it going better. Um, but when you bring in a lot of companies like that, it's it can create, you know, a lot of miscommunication or, or uh, um, uncertainty in how the organization is structured. And it's a very fluid, I think most big companies, you know, you see here like the reorg concept happening a lot, but GoDaddy seems a little bit more fluid to where the reorganizations kind of make sense. And we, you know, they're like small iterations and improvements on things as we go along. Um, and so that's really impressive to see. Senior leadership is very hands-on with their teams and their team's teams, um, which is fantastic. We've gotten to know really everybody within the organization, um, which has been awesome for a company that size, you know, already, and we're six months in. Um, but uh, I think the continued focus on workplace um, satisfaction and, and career development is is absolutely refreshing. And so one of the reasons that we were so excited to join GoDaddy is that we knew um, our team were going to have opportunities. So our whole team followed us uh, along, which is amazing, which is awesome. rare. Awesome. Yep. Um, and, you know, we're working with them to figure out, you know, what, not that they don't, can, can't continue to do what they do, but like if there's anything else that they're looking to learn about, like there are paths. So um, discovering those and, and it's a pretty exciting conversation to have. I love it. Is there anything you're doing? And it's not like this is kind of happening naturally. And this is maybe the way GoDaddy operates, but uh, you know, you start as a team of 20 or not, you didn't start as a team of 20, but you were a team of 20, right? How are you keeping the cell bright culture, the energy, the vibe you guys had now that you're part of a team of 9,000? Uh, any insights there? Yeah, I mean, it certainly is a, a challenge, but a very welcome one. Um, you know, GoDaddy has been very good about wanting us to stay as a team. I mean, we're still in our office. Um, we're incorporating more GoDaddy branding, but we want that. We want our team to feel like they're part of the organization and vice versa. Um, but at the same time, we still operate our own product, our standalone product. Um, we are going to likely, you know, make that a GoDaddy branded product, but we're not forced to do it immediately. And GoDaddy realizes the value and not rushing that out. So we're able to still kind of maintain our brand presence and identity um, with the team, at least internally and then externally with customers um, for a period of time to make sure that it's a smooth transition and everybody is ready for it. Um, and, and that includes all of our partners and anybody who, you know, depends on Cellbrite kind of being what it says it's going to be and not changing into something else. Um, uh, so that's been huge. Um, yeah, I think love it. we're still, we still do the things that we do on our own. You know, we still celebrate milestones. Um, we have been fortunate to, we can send folks to work to other offices to meet people if they want, which is a great way to kind of integrate them and get familiarity with the organization. But, and then, um, on the reciprocating end, we have a lot of folks that come visit us. So um, we're able to kind of show off, you know, the, the culture and the team that we built that, that GoDaddy wanted. So um, it's been a very good kind of two-way process uh, to bring us on board, but to ensure that the team feels like they're still, you know, 
they're not losing anything. Very cool. Very cool. Well, it's been fun for me and I've been watching very much from afar, but, but, uh, you know, harken back to our early conversations and, and to see the way you guys have grown. And then I know the acquisition has been really ideal and really smooth. I'm sure there's always, you know, there's probably some bumps along the way, but very smooth and probably couldn't have gone any better, Mm -hmm. which is, which is awesome. And so I think hopefully this will give some encouragement to people that are looking to, either the building their e-commerce brand or a software company building for that exit, like do it the right way. I, I love, I love the advice of during the negotiation, you know, like just, just try to be objective. No, no, the emotions are going to creep in there, but, but, but try to be objective. Really good stuff, Mike. I think we've actually got a lot of time. I was going to talk uh, marketplaces with you, but we're uh, right up against about an hour. So probably need to. That's all right. Up. But uh, it's been super, super good. I love that offer. Like people can hit you. So you have mind if people yeah. hit you up on social media if they have questions or something. Totally. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm very active. Uh, and um, so would love to chat. I was just going to say, that's probably my number one advice is talk to somebody who's gone Got through it. You're going to think all sorts of wild things that you might want to do or how could they or, um, you know, I can't ask for this or, um, you know, concerns that you may have or things that you haven't thought of that, you know, might get worked into a deal that you need to be looking out for. Having good advisors, having great attorneys that have been through this before. Absolutely. Have great attorneys. Don't be frugal about that. We had attorneys, they were expensive, but looking back on it now, I've never once thought about it as, wow, that was expensive. Like it's totally worth it. Totally necessary. You're going to get, something's going to go bad if you don't have a good attorney. No doubt about it. So, Awesome, Mike. Much appreciated. We'll link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes, but we'll check you out there. But it's Mike Eugino, U-G-I-N-O. So check him out on LinkedIn. With that, buddy, thank you so much. Excited to see what you and GoDaddy cook up here in the coming months and years. It's going to be fun. You're the man. All right. Looking forward to next time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mike. And as always, we appreciate you as well tuning in. We'd love to hear feedback. What are some burning topics, some questions you have in the world of e-commerce or online marketing that you like answered, we would like to know. We would like to address those right here on the show. And so with that, until next time, thank you for listening. All right, that's a wrap. Hey, that was fun, man. That was really good. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.